Father, we thank you today that your word tells us that you're a God that answers prayer. We thank you, Lord, that your word says where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and that they can ask. Your word says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. And Father, I just come to you this morning and I pray, Lord, that those who who are asking in their hearts today, that have needs today, Father, that you would begin to touch them. I just want to encourage you as you're listening right now and you're participating in this prayer, I want to invite you, if you have a need in your life, if you need healing in your body, if you have a relationship that you desire to have uh, be restored, if you need God to move in some way, to provide in some way in your life, what I want you to do, I want you to just slip up your hand right now there in your living room. And let's just continue to pray. Father, you see these hands that are lifted. Father, you see into those living rooms, into those homes, into those families right now. And I pray that in the name of Jesus, your Holy Spirit will begin to work. As in fact, I know he already is at work. I thank you, Lord, that you have said that in all things you are at work in those who love God. You're working those things out for our good. And I pray, Father, right now for needs that are represented by those raised hands. And I pray that you will begin to move. Move by your Holy Spirit, I pray. God, we ask you where there is need that you would provide. Lord, your word says that your grace is sufficient or it's enough for us. I pray that indeed your promise would be true. Father, your word says that by your stripes, Jesus' stripes, we are healed. And so, Lord, for those who need healing today, I pray, Father, that there would be wonderful healing in the name of Jesus. Father, your word tells us that we should bring relational issues to you. And so, Father, for the one that is praying for restoration of a relationship, I pray, O oh God, right now in the name of Jesus for supernatural healing to take place in that relationship. Father, today, as we ask you to move in these circumstances Lord, we will be careful to give you all the praise and the glory because we realize that in and of ourselves, we cannot fix these scenarios. We can't fix these situations. Try as we might, and I'm sure that we have tried. But Father, we thank you that your grace is enough for us. Thank you, Lord, that your word tells us that you will meet all our needs according to your riches and glory. So, Father, today I pray, meet each of these needs that is represented by a raised hand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to our online service here at Silver Creek Church. It's great to be with you this morning. And I just have really recognized that that freedom is a hot topic in our society today as a whole, whether you're on social media, whether you're talking uh, to a neighbor across the fence, whatever it is, freedom is really a hot topic. And it seems as if 
our legal rights are in conflict with our religious freedoms. And today, I'd like to share a message with you where I'm going to talk about three things that freedom isn't. The first one is this, freedom isn't a license. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you remember what it feels like to go driving? Not driving across town, not even driving out, you know, to the edge of town, but I mean really driving, taking a trip. How many of you remember that feeling that you get to drive from one area to another and to really to see things and to, to just enjoy the surroundings of those things? You see, in our daily lives, the driving that we do, we take the same route all the time. And we really almost become desensitized by what we see. Well, in my life, uh, in the last year, Grove Street has just become uh, a place, uh, a road that I drive on all the time. I'm, in the spring, I'm enjoying driving past the golf course and seeing the green grass and seeing the mowers and things like that. But you know, when you go past the golf course, you get to the stop sign there in McClellan, and once you get through that stop sign, it really goes into a steep downhill. Now, when you're coming from the other direction and you're coming through the roundabout and, and, and it goes uphill, I just feel this, this need. Uh, it just feels like you should go fast. It feels like you should pick up speed. And that hill, the speed limit is, is 25 miles an hour. And when you're going down that hill, it just all, it's like gravity and, and you're not, your foot's not even doing anything and, and you pick up speed and you realize that you're going faster than you should be. Several weeks ago on Saturday morning, uh, it, was, it was 6 or 6.30 in the morning and I was on my way uh, to South Beach for a Saturday long run with a running buddy of mine and, and I was on my way and I, I just had come out of that stoplight, and I'm heading down Grove Street, and, and like frequently, my mind is, is you know, somewhere else, and, and I'm not accelerating with, with the, the gas pedal, but I don't think I was riding my brake either. And, and I just, I, I looked down, you know, um, the hill a little bit, and all of a sudden, in that pre-dawn light, I could pick out a police car on the right-hand side of the road, and he was pulled off into a parking area there. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I knew I had to be doing at least 35 miles an hour. And I remember thinking to myself, he's got me dead to rights. There's, there's nothing that, that I can do. And so you know, I, I did what most of us would do. You, you, you know, you put on the brake and you slow down to about five miles below the speed limit just so that they know that, you know, you've seen them and, 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 and you, you, you slow way down and then you get past them. And if you're like me, you look into your rear view mirror. Your hands are at 10 and 2. There's, I mean, you're just gripping the steering wheel to death. Your hands are at 10 and 2, just like we were taught when we were young. And your eyes, though, with your head staring straight forward, your eyes are looking in your rear view mirror and you are waiting to see if that police officer is going to move. 
and you, you continue at five miles below the speed limit, and I get down to the bottom of the hill, and I merge onto the roundabout down there on 41, where 7th Street meets up as well. And, I, and then right away, I have to turn onto US 41. And I am trying to keep my eyes in that rearview mirror to see if that police officer is going to move at all. And, 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 and it just, it, you're, you're, that feeling that you have is, is one of almost relief when you begin to pull out of sight and you think to yourself, oh, he's not going to pull out. You're, you're, you're not really sure. Did he see me? Um, was, was, he, was he asleep? Had he just written a ticket for someone else and he was finishing up his paperwork? Uh, I don't know what it was, but man, you just have this sense of relief as you begin to move out of sight and that officer stays where they are and you realize that you're not going to get a ticket. Well, there's some reasons in my life why I try not to speed. And probably the first one for me is, uh, maybe no one else is like this, but I don't, I don't like the idea of getting a fine of a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars, whatever a fine is these days, because I just feel like it, it. You know, I just threw that money out the window, and it was something that was completely avoidable had I just paid attention. And I just can't stand the idea of that. But then there's a couple other reasons for me that are that are pretty important, and and one is that I don't want to put police officers in an awkward situation especially out here uh, in Chocolate Township where the church is because uh, I know so many of the officers and, and you want to develop a good working relationship with people. And, and if I get pulled over, I don't want them to feel like, man, I should give this guy a ticket, but he's a pastor. And, and I just feel like it puts them in a real awkward place. So I, I don't want to do that. The third reason is I, I don't want to bring shame on Jesus. I don't want to bring shame on, on the gospel. I don't want to bring shame on my church uh, as well. And, and, you know, I have to be careful because my truck is pretty identifiable. If you, if you know what my truck looks like, I don't think it's very hard to pick out. That, that green strap holding my tailgate up kind of gives it away. But... I want you to, to, to notice something that, that what, I'm, what I'm saying to you, I, I realize that I did not say to you that the reason that I try not to speed um, is, is because I would be breaking the law. Now, I, I have to admit to you that, that occasionally I, I know that I, I speed. And I know that in doing so, I am I'm breaking the law. And I know that the law is there really for, for my safety. So as I'm coming down the hill there on Grove Street, I kind of got to ask myself a question. Um, is, it, is it right for me to go above 25 miles an hour? Is it, is it okay for me? 
And, and so I start to think about, well, you know, it's, if, if the law is that the speed limit is 25, and I know that they probably won't pull me over if I'm going 4 or 5 over, is it okay for me to go 29 or 30? Or is it really, is it, I mean, I can't go above 25. And I have to admit that I, I go over 25 sometimes going down that hill. And, and so I'm wondering about, about my rights. I'm wondering about legally what I'm allowed to do. And so I can, I can determine in my mind, well, the law is 25, so therefore it is my legal right to go 25 miles an hour down Grove Street. But let me ask you this. Let's say it's wintertime and we get an ice storm here in Marquette and you're coming down Grove Street. Is it your legal right to go 25 miles an hour down Grove Street. And you would say, well, of course it is. It's posted on a sign right there as you, as you cross over McClellan and, and as you're coming to that hill, it says 25 miles an hour. So it's my right to go 25 miles an hour. And I know that in that situation, what an officer would say to you is that it is not your right due to the conditions of the road and imagine if you're going 25 miles an hour and you get to the bottom of that icy hill and you're not able to stop you might slide right through that intersection and you might get into an accident on the roundabout and if the officer asks you how fast you are going you're going to say I was going 25 miles an hour and you're going to assume that's my legal right to do so because it's posted at 25. And that officer is going to write you a ticket and say that you are going too fast for conditions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 24, verses 23 and 24, and then I'm going to jump down to 32 and 33. I want you to look at what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I have the right to do anything. That's what, what he's saying that they're saying. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And now down to verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul is telling us that freedom, even our freedom in Christ, is not a license to do whatever we please or whatever we feel is right. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, hey, it might be right, it might seem okay, but the question is, is it or is it not beneficial to others? Is it helpful to others? In other words, how do our actions affect others that are around us? And I think during this time of COVID-19, I think we realize that our, our, our actions while we're out in public certainly can, can really impact other people. They can cause them to feel comfortable or they can cause them to feel very uncomfortable. The other day I was with my brother Dan and he said something funny to me. 
and we were picking up something, uh, a pickup for dinner, and I began to laugh. And I mean, I began to laugh uncontrollably, and I could not stop. And I realized that as I was laughing, other people didn't think that it was funny. Because to them it was a very serious moment and I was literally beside myself and could not stop laughing. And I remember thinking, these people don't think this is funny. And I'm trying to literally stifle my own laughter because of the effect that I see that it has on other people. Paul said that our freedom is not a right to do whatever we want to do, but we should consider how it affects other people. Number two, freedom isn't about you. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. He said, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. In World War II, one of the, the, the toughest, one of the final, one of the bloodiest battles was the battle for Okinawa. The U.S. troops suffered 49,000 casualties as a result of that single battle. They were getting to a point where they were almost at a, a place of being able to take a major victory there on a, on a plateau. And, and they were just about ready to, to cross that, that point of taking that hill. And the enemy just began to release an incredible amount of firepower down upon the Americans. In fact, the Japanese refer to that event as the reign of steel. And because of that tremendous barrage that was poured out on the Americans there, they were forced to retreat back down the ridge. And the ridge was about 400 feet high, and the, the, the army had erected a, a, a cargo net to get up and down that ridge. And the troops were forced to retreat back down that ridge. There were scores and scores of, of wounded and dead who were left on the battlefield, but there was an army medic. He was a young 26 years of age. He was from Lynchburg, Virginia, and he was a person that could have had a deferment. He was a conscientious objector, and instead of not helping in the war effort, he decided that he would enlist in the Army Medical Corps Basic training for him was brutal, and he refused that day to retreat. But being a conscientious objector, he didn't have a weapon. And what he did was he began to treat the wounded where they were, not leaving the battlefield after the troops had retreated down the ridge. And he would treat those soldiers where they were, and then he would begin to drag them back to the edge of the ridge. And he would tie a rope sling around their bodies, and he would lower them down that 400-foot ridge. Down below, the troops would untie the wounded soldier, and he would pull the rope back up, and then he would pray, Lord, 
help me get one more. That day, Private First Class Desmond Doss saved 75 lives without a gun on Hacksaw Ridge. You know, we have an incredible amount of freedoms here in this wonderful country. And I believe that our country is the best country on the face of the earth in the history of civilization. But the freedoms that we have make it very easy for you and for me to focus on ourselves. It's really easy for us to do that. I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 19. The Apostle Paul says this, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. The Apostle Paul was not worried about his own rights. In fact, as we read about his life and we read about his ministry, Paul described himself as God's love slave. Because God loved him and because he loved God, he was willing to surrender himself to become a slave because of that love. He laid aside his rights in order to win others to Jesus Christ. Friends, there's a cost for freedom. And that cost has been paid for you and I. And freedom isn't something that we need to, to use um, and be concerned about ourselves. But rather, it's something that we need to use and focus on others the way that Paul did. Thirdly, freedom isn't cheap. You know, on Monday, we're going to celebrate Memorial Day. It was originally called Decoration Day. It started May 30th, 1868. It was a day that was set aside to, to go out to cemeteries where those who had given their lives in the Civil War where their graves were. They had paid the ultimate sacrifice, and so people would go out and and in honor of those soldiers, they would decorate their graves. They would, they would put flesh, fresh flowers and, and undoubtedly, uh, you know, other things on those graves to, to make them look good. But those people paid the ultimate sacrifice. They paid the price for freedom. 
You know, in the history of the top 10 conflicts here in America that we have been involved in, there are 1.4 million soldiers who have paid that ultimate price with their lives. Let me tell you that for some of us, that is a very difficult number to imagine. 1.4 million, that would be like taking the city of Detroit, Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, East Lansing, and the entire Upper Peninsula and putting them all together. That's an incredible cost for our freedom, and it's a cost that was paid for in blood. It's tough to fathom those numbers, and it doesn't necessarily seem personal to you and I right now unless we've lost a loved one. Let me tell you that in 1942, there was a family here in this country. Their last name was Sullivan. They had five boys, five sons. And those five sons decided that they would all enlist in the Navy. And back in those days, brothers could actually request to serve together. These brothers in the Sullivan family, they requested to all serve together and they were assigned to the USS Juno. And on May, or excuse me, November 13th, 1942, Japanese torpedoes sunk the cruiser that they were assigned to. And that killed all five of the Sullivan brothers. Because of this and the death of other siblings, the US War Department enacted a policy called the sole survivor policy. I want you to know that the Sullivan family understood the cost of freedom. They understood that freedom is not cheap. They understood that the cost was very high and their five sons died to defend those freedoms. And for that family, there wouldn't be any weddings. There wouldn't be any, any daughter-in-laws that would come into their family. There wouldn't be the birth of any babies. There wouldn't be any next generation. There wouldn't be any grandchildren to be celebrated. Our freedom has come because of sacrifices like theirs. And I want you to know that I believe as we get ready to celebrate Memorial Day that there's a real spiritual application for us here. Look at what John the Beloved writes in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 where he says this, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's talking about Jesus here and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross has brought about and purchased our forgiveness, forgiveness for our sins. But you know, Jesus, he wasn't assigned uh, to a, 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 a cruiser that, that was sent out into the, the, the South Pacific. He wasn't assigned to a battalion. He wasn't given a uniform. He didn't have uh, weapons to protect himself. He was sent 
all alone. He wasn't one of thousands that was sent to storm the earth. He was sent as a child who would grow up, who would live a sinless life, and who would die not for his own sin, but for your sin and for my sin. Second or First Timothy, rather, chapter two, verses five and six, it says this: Jesus Christ, that's the last two words of the of verse five, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. That word ransom is an amazing word. In July 1973, the 16-year-old grandson of J. Paul Getty was kidnapped while he was in Rome. The kidnappers asked for a $17 million ransom, and Getty refused to pay it. The kidnappers, after a short period of time, when they did not get the response that they wanted, they cut off his grandson's ear, and they mailed it to his grandfather. Getty finally told the kidnappers that he would pay $2.2 million for the return of his grandson. That $2.2 million seems kind of like a random number, but that was the number that he could legally deduct from his taxes. The oldest verse that you and I probably remember is John 3.16 where Scripture says that God gave His only Son because He loved the world so much. In other words, God sent heaven's best. He sent His Son, Jesus, as a ransom for you and I. He didn't have to check the tax code to see what the greatest deduction was that he could get. He didn't say, you know what, I, I only have one son. I can't send him because if I send him and he dies, I'm not going to have any more sons left. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, our freedom was bought here in America with the blood of 1.4 and even more than that, 1.4 million soldiers who gave their lives to defend our freedom. But our ransom spiritually was purchased and paid for by the blood of just one, and his name is Jesus Christ. As I close today, I recall that story of the Sullivan brothers, five brothers, and out of that was the policy called the sole survivor. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing my message, and that policy, sole survivor, S-O-L-E, meaning the only survivor in the family. And I thought about the, the freedom that the cross of Jesus Christ has purchased for you and me. And that we are sole survivors, but not S-O-L-E. We are S-O-U-L survivors. 
our soul has been given the gift of eternal life through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. Now I realize that that this Monday, Memorial Day, it's going to be a very different day. There won't be any, any parades the way there normally might be. Someone might come up with something unique, but we won't see the marching bands. We won't see the floats. We won't see all of the crowds. We might not even feel comfortable having a family picnic. We might not feel like it's really much of a Memorial Day because we feel like we've got to stay home. We feel like there's not much that we can do. But I want you to know something, that you and I have been blessed to live in the greatest country in the world. I know that it's not perfect, but I want to encourage you today. Display an American flag if you have one. Pause Monday afternoon to reflect and to give thanks for those that have sacrificed so much so that you and I could experience the blessing of this great nation. If you feel comfortable, take a ride and go visit one of the local memorials in our community, memorializing the death of soldiers who sacrificed so much. And don't forget to pray for our nation. I'd like to close with just a brief word of prayer. And this morning I want to encourage you to remember that freedom isn't free. The freedom that we have as a nation has been afforded us by the sacrifice of others. We have so much to be thankful for. And as great as that is, it pales in comparison to the freedom that has been purchased us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, today we want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us to live in this great nation. The freedoms that we have are so amazing. And Father, we know that this has been a stressful time in our country, in our lives. And Lord, we're trying to figure things out on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And Lord, I know that there are some that they feel alienated from their families. Some feel like, like they, their needs are not being met um, financially because they've been laid off. Father, I know that there's been a a great difficulty. But Father, I believe that we're going to have the opportunity to be together again. We're going to be able to encourage each other once again. We're going to be able soon to wrap our arms around one another and to show love one to another. Father, I just pray that today we would be thankful for the country that you have given us. And Father, I pray that we would be able to to step back and to recognize all those incredible blessings and first and foremost among them, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for the one that's watching 
this morning in this online church service, and they have never taken advantage of the freedom offered to them by the blood of Jesus. I pray that today would be the day that they say, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord and be my Savior. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to celebrate and to be thankful. We worship you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you and we will see you very soon.